The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come to you now one more time from the book of 1 Peter. And we ask you in this moment to speak to us through your word. Pour out your spirit on us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my goal this morning is to do two things. One, I want to review some of the the deep truths of 1 Peter. Try to press them into our souls just one last time. Since we're the campus that's ahead by a week, we can do that one more time. And then I want to call us to prayer from 1 Peter. So review some of these truths and then press them into our souls and then call us to prayer as the need of the hour. I've heard from a lot of you, and I've felt this to myself, that 1 Peter has been this, this timely word. Uh, some of you have thought that we even were able to maybe predict some of what was coming, and so we'd go through 1 Peter and like be there right on the week it was happening. I promise you we're just not that slick here um, at Bethlehem. But I think the reason it's been so powerful is that when when chaos abounds around us and and our our foundations are shaken and our routines are kind of upended, all the big questions of life kind of come back to the surface. Like, who am I? What is all this about? What am I supposed to be doing in this moment? What am I most called to? And I just want to remind you where Peter has answered those questions here. And he's called these people to be a people rooted in his promises. When, when uncertain times are on the horizon, what would Peter call us to? He'd say, root yourself. Stand firm in the promises of God. He started by telling these people who they are. Peter started by telling them who they are what their identity was. In an age of identity, politics happening all the time. This is your identity as a Christian, first and foremost. And then he piled on the promises of God. He says, you're elect exiles. This isn't your home. You're set apart by the Holy Spirit. You're sprinkled with blood. Why? To obey Jesus Christ. Those identity markers are enough for us to chew on for the rest of our lives. Elect exiles, chosen by God, set apart by the Holy Spirit, sprinkled with His blood for obedience to Jesus Christ. How? How did that happen? Is it uncertain? Is it shakable? No, it's not because they were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance kept in heaven for them and a God who promised to guard them by faith. And in this shaky day where everything feels uncertain and fading, their inheritance is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, which means it's never going away, never diminishing in glory or beauty, and never any brokenness creeping in. That's where we're headed. Can you imagine what that's going to be like to not live in this shaky, broken, unstable world instead of have that kind of inheritance? Peter told them they were children of their father. He said that their father would refine their faith through trials so that it would be strong enough to make it to the end. 
He told them they were children of the Father who is always watching to discipline them for their good and His glory. He told them they were a family meant to come together to love each other, not mock each other. No malice, no bitterness, but love and walk together towards glory. He told them they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood meant to declare the excellencies of the ones who had called them by His mercy. And then last week, that's how Peter ended. He reminded them that their Father was the God of all grace who had called them to eternal glory to make sure they got there because He Himself would pour out His power to them. This book is a book of promises, a book of grace, and then walking in those promises, becoming who we are. And why has He told them this? Why has He told them who they are and given them all these promises? It's because He knows suffering is coming. He knows persecution is coming. And He wants them to be able to stand in all of this grace. He wants their anchor firm. He knows the waves of suffering are coming. Some like they've never experienced before. He wants them to remember they're children of God. The God of all grace. And like little Quinn in the ocean, He wants them to stand in His strength. Like little Apollos under the water, He wants us to know He's got us. He's going to keep His promise to never leave us or forsake us no matter how unsettling the circumstances are. This whole book is meant to help you stand firm in His grace. And not only does He want them to stand firm, but as they stand firm, He wants them to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and broken generation that others may see our beautiful deeds and see the beauty of our King. This is the call of our lives as the blood-bought family of God right now. And I, I, I've just been praying for us as we walk through this book that your, your perspective would shift from one of fear and shakenness in these times we're living in now to one of opportunity. Like what a great time to be a Christian. What a great time to have hope amidst fear. What a great time to have an unshakable kingdom when everything is shaking. What a great time to have unity in Christ above all other things. Stand firm in His grace amidst the waves of social unrest, election seasons, COVID-19, job losses, disease, and even death. To shine forth His glory as we hope not in politicians, but in Jesus. As we love each other and those who curse us with self-giving love. As we honor politicians we struggle with. As we show our unity in the Gospel is so much stronger than the opinions or preferences or lies that could divide us. As we cling to our King as our steady anchor in the midst of uncertainty waves in 2020 that's what this book is for if you feel like it's tailor-made for you then marvel at the grace of God writing this 2,000 years ago his word remains relevant because he cares for his people so Peter has tried to show us that we're a people rooted in his promises standing in his grace and shining forth his glory and what I want to do today is look at the four times that Peter mentions prayer because I think prayer is the greatest need of the hour. And I think prayer is the most basic expression of faith. Prayer is the most basic expression of faith. If you are someone who knows who you are, who knows God's promises, who knows your weakness, what should you do? 
What, what should be the first instinct? What should be the breathing of the Christian besides prayer? We're creating, trying to all sorts of times to pray in the season of uncertainty. We're praying on our fasting Fridays at 6.30 a.m. and noon. We'd love for you to join us. We're going to have 24 hours of prayer you can sign up for the day before the election. We're going to devote our Wednesday night after the election to a night of worship and prayer. Why do we do that? Just the, the good thing to do as a church, like you better have prayer initiatives when there's an election around the corner. The reason we're doing that is because prayer is the most basic way to lean into God's presence and power, trusting in God's promises. Prayer is the most basic way to lean into God's presence and power rooted in God's promises because prayer admits when you pray you're admitting I'm weak I can't do this I don't have it under control and you God who created the world must step in and work in me and through me and in us and through us for the sake of your name so with that backdrop from Peter and that motivation God's presence and power let's look at what Peter says about prayer as we review First Peter. So point number one is some promises for prayer. Listen to First Peter 3, 12 first with this stunning promise about prayer. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. You say, why should we pray? Does my, does my prayer matter? Does God hear me? Why would we pray? Because our Father's eyes are on us. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe. When you look at Him, you'll find Him looking at you. He's always with us. We are righteous in Christ and our Father's ears are open to our prayers. Like Revelation 8 tells us they're a sweet aroma to Him. Hebrews 12 tells us we can approach boldly and find a throne of grace. Ephesians 2 tells us we have access by the Holy Spirit. Our God is not sullen and annoyed like some parents are, like some of us parents are in this world, and we just wish our our kids would stop coming and asking the same thing. His eyes are on you. His ears are open to you. So in this season of uncertainty, I want you to have this picture in your mind. When you're afraid and the waves are crashing over you and you feel like you're alone, if you would just look behind you, What you would see is your father's eyes are already on you. He sees you. He hasn't lost sight of you. And when you cry out to him in your pain and uncertainty, or when you cry out to him for power to help you obey, he will not turn his back on you. He will run to you and he will stoop down and look you in the face and listen and say, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you to come. This is the promise from James. If we will draw near to God, then He will draw near to us. What a stunning promise that is from the God of the universe. Hey, just just draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And here's this second promise of Peter about prayer. Pastor Nick preached on this a few weeks ago. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. What a stunning invitation. We are invited to cast our anxieties on the God of the universe 
because He cares for us. He cares about whatever is in your heart right now. There are things you haven't told anybody else. Fears you haven't voiced anybody else. Sins you haven't confessed anybody else. There's all sorts of things that no one else knows. And he says, bring those to me. Cast them on me. They're not too big for me. They're not too ugly for me. They're not too sinful for me. You're not too far gone for me. Cast your anxieties on me. We just sang about it, and what a friend we have in Jesus. I don't know how many people carry so much shame and guilt and pain on their own and try to fix themselves up before they talk to God. Like His eyes aren't already on you. (laughs) Just go to Him and talk to Him rather than going, I'm going to clean myself up, then I'll go. I'm going to clean myself up. Man, Monday and Tuesday were bad, but if I have a good Wednesday to Saturday, I can worship on Sunday. That's not maturity. Maturity in Christ is... (laughs) did it again. I'm going to run to Him quicker this time. He invites me to cast all my anxieties, all my cares on Him. So here's what I would say. Some of you during this season have burdens that you just can't stand to carry anymore. Some of you are dealing with deep depression, deep anxiety, deep burdens, and you just can't can't carry them anymore. My invitation to you is don't. Don't carry them anymore by yourself. Cast them on the shoulders of your Father in heaven whose eyes are on you, whose ears are open to you. Why? Because He cares for you. He already knows your pain. He already knows your fear. He already knows your brokenness. He already knows your failure. Right? Let's not be Adam and Eve and pretend like we can sow fig leaves up and hide in the bushes from the God who created us. Cast our cares on Him. Be naked and unashamed before Him because Jesus has paid the price and clothed us in His righteousness. I'm not immune to these things. I I preach these things. I'm preaching to my own soul. I wake up and the first thoughts, just naturally, almost every day for me, and the last thoughts, naturally, of every night for me, are so easily filled with my fears and my failures. It's just who we are. And there is plenty to fear, and there are plenty of ways I fail, so there's no shortage of material. Right? I can just run it through my mind easily. I wake up in the morning, and I'm just like, oh, I blew it in that meeting. Oh, I blew it that moment with one of my kids right before bedtime. Oh, I blew it with Kelly. I'm afraid of this. What's going to happen in this conflict? What's going to go on there? And so what I've begun to do in the morning an evening for a few years now is simply look all of it right in the face. So rather than numb it with Netflix, right, rather than, than numb it with food, rather than do whatever else I might be tempted to do, I just look it in the face and I remember who my Father is and I just tell Him, Lord, You've got to take it. I can't bear this. I'm going to cast it on You. You promise that there's well-timed help and mercy at Your throne of grace. I can't bear this on my own. I can't bear this counseling case on my own. I don't have enough wisdom. I can't bear my parenting needs or failures on my own. I'm not a good enough dad. I can't bear my family's suffering on my own. I can't do it anymore. I can't walk through another year of suffering, Lord. I can't go another day. I can't watch my family suffer. I can't bear my sinful failures on my own. I'm still too harsh sometimes, too impatient sometimes. I can't bear the uncertainty and conflicts in the church on my own. Our people are fighting over secondary things. What am I going to do? So, Lord, I have to give it to you. 
to give it to him. I just look it in the face and I just list it. Say, Lord, take this and take this and take this. And I cast those cares on him. And what's funny and sweet is that as I do that, that's when I feel his care for me. I'm drawing near to him, and what does he do? He keeps his promise to draw near to me. I experience his watching eyes and his open ears. Who is more faithful than him? Like, test him. Will he not be there to keep his promises? Will his power not be enough to sustain? He's the God of all grace and all power. You can't outsin his grace. You can't have cares too big for his power. We can leave the restlessness of our fears and failures, cast our cares on our Father and run to Jesus who promises rest for our souls because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Rooted in these promises, we should storm the throne of grace for God's presence and power as needy children with our biggest, ugliest cares because we know our Father's arms are there to hold us in the waves. Let's put it to you this morning. Does your prayer life reflect that you believe these promises and that that's not a guilt trip like no one's going to pray more because you're guilty you might for a week or two it's an invitation this is true god is either real or he's not and if he's real and if this is who he is will you pray will you bring your cares to him okay point number two general principle of prayer. So our union with Christ can never be broken because of his death and resurrection. And the promises we just talked about are always there for the repentant heart. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 66, 2. It says, All these things my hand has made, all these things came to be. There's his power, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So you're humble, you're contrite, the Lord's eyes are always on you. You can always come to Him. But we just have to admit now, because some of us maybe aren't praying because we, we don't believe those promises. We don't believe God really cares about us. We feel His distance. But some of us are not humble. We don't tremble at His Word. Instead, like Israel in the book of Judges, we are just doing what is right in our own eyes. There's no Repentance. And so here's the principle I want to lay out and then I want to show it to you in just a couple different places in Peter. While fellowship in prayer is always available to the repentant Christian, fellowship in prayer will always be hindered when you are unrepentant and ignore sin. So fellowship in prayer is always available to the repentant Christian. Fellowship in prayer will always be hindered if you're unrepentant and ignore sin. So let's see this. It's a word to husbands from 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So here's a principle for husbands in the room. If we don't live with our wives this way, know her soul, show her honor, treat her like a fellow heir of grace with you, you might find that your fellowship with the Father is hindered. You might find that you go to your Father and He says, go talk to my daughter first. Go, go deal with your sin. In other words, 
Don't treat your wife harshly or cruelly or as unimportant and expect that her father is not going to discipline you and is going to pretend like everything's okay. Or 1 Peter 3.12. We just read it as a promise, but there's a, a warning here too. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And this is a section where Peter's calling them to repent, calling them to holiness. Which means if you're actively, unrepentantly practicing evil, the Lord is not going to let it go. Right? His eyes are always on you to discipline you. He loves you too much to just let you sit in your sin. He will discipline you for your good. Your fellowship with Him will be broken and hindered. Our union is never broken with Him. And therefore, the humble, contrite heart can run back to Him at any time and just fall into His Father's arms. But our communion can be broken. Fellowship can be broken and cause distance. Here's why I bring this up. It is easy in this day and age we live in. For me... For you to be obsessed with the sin out there in the world and forget to honestly examine our own hearts. And sometimes I wonder if to our passionate pleas for the culture to change and the the laws to change, I wonder if God might say to us, remember Christian, judgment begins at the household of God. Before you lament this sin out there, repent from your sexual sin. It's rampant in the church. Pornography is rampant in the church. And here we stand against these issues of sexuality and this, this product of sexual sin with abortion so often, and yet here we are looking on our screens at things we ought not look at, and he would say, repent from your sexual sin. Or can you believe this cancel culture out there? And he would say, repent, church, from your own bitterness against other believers, the ones in your small group who said that thing that offended you, the ones you avoid on Sunday mornings because you're still so angry at them. You're going to be mad about cancel culture while you avoid your brothers and sisters in Christ as you walk out the door. Repent from your grumbling, church, from your reviling, from your apathy, from your greed, from your need for comfort, for your anger. Repent. Judgment begins at the household of God and then pray for your nation. And I would simply ask you today, if there are patterns of unrepentant sin in your life, would you make this the moment you draw near to God in repentance? Would this be the moment you say, I'm I'm laying it down. (laughs) I'm running from that idol. Are you caught up in some pattern of lust or bitterness or anger or anxiety that you need to give over to the Lord? Draw near to Him now in repentance. Don't laugh about it anymore. Yeah, I get, I get really angry and worked up sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I still, I still struggle with lust sometimes. Call it what it is, right? Just call it sin. And repent. Draw near to God now in repentance. And here's the promise again. Let's bring the promise to the warning. If you would draw near to now, Him now in repentance, He will draw near to you. 
He's not going to keep his distance like, oh, it was really gross. It got really hairy there for a while. I'm just going to keep my distance till you prove it for a week. He will draw near to you now if you'll repent now. If we want to see our world change, it's going to happen through prayer. And if we want deep fellowship with our Father in prayer, we cannot fellowship with idols while we fellowship with Him. The promises to pray are great. So as a church, let us throw off every weight and sin which clings so close and let us run the race set before us, drawing near to Christ and His throne of grace in repentance. And here's where points one and two come together. Our dependence and our repentance. Stacy Thorpe sent me this quote after I sent her this manuscript from Zach Eswine. And here's what he says. You and I were never meant to repent for not being everywhere for everybody and all at once. You and I are meant to repent because we've tried to be. So our repentance and our dependence comes together. Listen to it one more time. You and I were never meant to repent for not being everywhere for everybody and all at once. You and I are meant to repent because we've tried to be. So can we just admit this? In this season, the reason we're, we're so afraid is because we are so used to having control being able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, order things with one click and they're there tomorrow. We're so used to control, so efficient, so able to get things done, so wanting what we want now, needing what we need now. And here he would say, repent because you've tried to do that over and over again. You're never meant to do that. And that's why the divorce is so easy to act like the problems are out there, not in here. We've acted like we're responsible for everything and we haven't even taken responsibility for our own hearts. But here's the good news. You can run to Him in repentance and dependence every day. So if you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, Pastor Dave, and I've, I've done that every day and I just keep doing the same things. Again today. <laughs> There's new mercies every morning. They're never ending from the God of grace. And the life of Christian maturity is a life of constant repentance. It's a life of constant coming back and saying, I can't, you can, I've sinned, you're the Savior, I'm weak, you're strong, please meet me, please help me, please forgive me. Point number three, the present need of prayer. So this is from chapter 4. Verse 7, Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Okay, so before I read the last part, think about that. The end of all things, like here we are, we're living in the last days. You need to be self-controlled. You need to be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. That must mean Peter thinks prayer is pretty important. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Which means we're living between the first and second coming of Jesus. That's what the Bible calls these last days, the end of all things. We're a people waiting to head home to be with Him forever. His return is imminent, even if we don't know when. And the call here, and the call in the Christian in the Bible, is not to predict when He's coming but rather to call us to sober-mindedness and self-control so that we can be a people of passionate prayer always ready for His coming. The need of the hour is prayer. People in our neighborhoods and the nations are still lost during 2020. They're still lost. The, The need hasn't changed. The deepest need hasn't changed. There are neighbors you have who have never heard about Jesus Christ. 
Would we pray for them? There are people suffering in our midst, outside of our midst. Let us pray for them. So Peter says, bathe your mind in who you are and what you're called to so that you're drawn to prayer. So let me ask you, are you sober-minded and self-controlled? Are you filling your soul with healthy meals from the Word to let it shape you and calm you and hold you so that then you can go to God in prayer with a a clear, sober-mindedness? Or are you filling your soul with a late-night Taco Bell run of the world that only will cause you to run an anxiety and adrenaline and post more than you pray? For Matt Moore. (laughs) So why do I say go to the Word for this? Why should we do that? Why do I say go to the Word? Because the last time he called them to be sober-minded was chapter 1, where he told them to set their hope fully on Jesus Christ. So I'll, just, I'll say, how are you going to do that apart from the Word of God? How are you going to set your mind on Jesus Christ apart from the Word of God? You're going to find that on social media. You're going to find that on the news. You've seen you're not going to find it in a debate. How are you going to set your mind on Jesus Christ? Christians have a chance, an opportunity to shine brightly in the season if we would fix our eyes on Jesus and pray for an outpouring of His presence. We have a chance to be firm and not be shaken. We have this opportunity to bless those who curse us. Right? We have a chance to submit to and honor those we don't agree with. We have a chance to fill the places we're in with beautiful deeds that show the beauty of our King and it's going to happen by prayer. And if you don't like something in that list I just read, you're going to have to deal with Peter and not me. Those are direct quotes from him. There is nothing more important in this moment than a praying church. And if we want to be a praying church, we have to fix our hope fully on Jesus Christ in these present days. So here's what I'm going to call us to as we head towards a crazy time. You think it's crazy now? I think it's about to get crazier. Would you commit, everyone, South Campus, at home, in the commons, in here, would you commit to opening the Word of God and reminding yourself of the good news of Jesus before you look at any other news every single day? Commit, I'm going to the Word first. I'm going to the Word first. I'm going to the Word until my heart is settled in it. Would you commit to eating true bread and drinking true living water before you fill up on so much garbage? There's no room in there anymore. Would you commit to turning off your TV or your phone or whatever else you go to if you feel your soul losing control or sobriety and run to Jesus? So you begin to feel, I'm getting worked up, I'm getting anxious. Would you commit to leaving that television, leaving that device, even leaving that conversation if you need to and saying, I've got to go do some work with Jesus? Would you commit to pray more than you post? Before, before I post, I'm going to go to a season of prayer. Would you commit to pour out your heart before God before you pour out your opinions to others? I'm just I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to, to walk, to position yourself under the waterfall of God's grace, to lean into His promises to His people to meet you, to meet us. So let's go to the application. This is what my hope is for us, that we'd be a people that prove His power. 
as we give ourselves to prayer and as He meets us with His presence, which He promises to, we become a people who prove His power. So I just want to read you three places that show that the point of all of this is to make much of our God who sent His Son to purchase a people that will be with Him forever. It's the point of all things. God's going, I'm going to use you. I've purchased you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to empower you so you can make much of me and then you're going to be with me forever. So first, Peter 2.12. says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Or 1 Peter 4.11, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Or 1 Peter 5.12, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So Bethlehem, in this uncertain season, remember who you are. Remember who you are, first and foremost. I'm not telling you, don't hear me saying, don't send me an email saying I said this, that I'm telling you to disengage or walk away or not be involved or denounce your American citizenship. I'm just telling you, remember who you are first. Remember what your deepest identity is first. You want to be the best citizen of America, you better remember who you are in Christ first. Bethlehem, be rooted in His promises, in His very words so that you can hope fully in Jesus. Walk through 1 Peter over these coming weeks over and over again and remind yourself of who you are and what He's called you to. Bethlehem, fill your sphere of influence with beautiful deeds that show the beauty of your King. Bethlehem, as you find that you're weak and you cannot stand, pour out your heart knowing your Father's eyes are on you and His ears are open to you. Bethlehem, where there's unrepentant sin in your life, turn from it now and fall into His arms again and find freedom to obey and love empowered by deep fellowship in prayer. So here's my hope for us as a people. It is a strange thing when people can disagree and still love each other. It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing when people bless those who curse them. It's a strange thing when people submit to and honor even those that they don't agree with. It's a strange thing when people keep hoping and rejoicing even when suffering comes and society seems against them. It's a strange thing when people admit their weakness and run to another for his strength. It's a strange thing when people can be at rest in the midst of waves that keep crashing. And my prayer is that in your conversations, in your neighborhood, in your social media, in every interaction, in every sphere of influence, you would look strange so that it would show that this Jesus guy might just be real enough, not just for when times are good, but for when times are at their worst. And people might actually do 1 Peter chapter 2 and say, tell me about the hope that you have within you. We're a people that can rejoice because we know our Father sees us, He hears us, He 
He will carry our burdens. He will meet us in our suffering. He has called us to eternal glory, and He Himself will bring us home. Let's pray. So, Father, we now come just a few minutes here to the table. This is a time where we can just examine our own hearts, where we've not trusted You, where we've struggled to trust You, where we've sought comfort in other places. So Lord, just help us honestly examine our own hearts. You see it already. Help us not play games with ourselves. Help us not play games with You. Help us cast our cares, our burdens on You because You care for us. And then, Father, would You remind us that Your Gospel is true, our sins are forgiven, and empower us in this season to be a a praying people that trust You, that stand in Your promises. Help us be people that rejoice even when the times are hardest because we know we have a Father who has called us to eternal glory and promises to bring us home. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.